have to imagine that she's incredibly light, like she's made out of air. Now, is that her whole body or just her head? Cow. <laughs> you guys, come on, concentrate or it's not going to work. I think I sprained my finger. <laughs> Shut up! Focus! Come on, you guys. Come on, ready? Light as a feather, stiff as a board. 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 Now is the time, now is the hour to welcome you to When We Were Young, the podcast that determines whether the pop culture of yore can still levitate, or whether it was just a glamour that must be burned at the stake. <laughs> I'm Chris, the podcast host most likely to hail to the guardians of the Watchtowers of the East, powers of air and invention. Hear us. I'm Seth, the host most likely to hail to the guardians of the Watchtowers of the South, the powers of fire and feeling. Hear us. I'm Becky, the podcast host most likely to hail to the guardians of the watchtowers of the North by the powers of Mother and Earth. Hear us! And I'm Chrissy, and I'm the guest co-host most likely to hail to the guardians of the watchtowers of the West, powers of water and intuition. Hear us. Today on the podcast, we are talking about witches, uh, teen witches, and thank God none of them is named Sabrina. <laughs> We could do Sabrina the Teenage Witch on the podcast. I mean, I feel like she should be the fifth wheel in this, like, foursome here. Not on the podcast. I mean, in the craft, the movie that we're doing today. <laughs> oh, smooth as silk. <laughs> the witches in question are Nancy, Bonnie, Rochelle, and Sarah, the bitches of Eastwick in the 1996 supernatural thriller The Craft, starring Nev Campbell, Rachel True, Robin Tunney, and Feruza Balk. I still can't believe there's a witch named Bonnie. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't sound... That's a country well, music star name. parents didn't know she was a witch. <laughs> That's fair, Becky. In order to properly do this episode, we realized we needed to find our fourth so we could call all the corners. And that is why we brought onto the podcast uh, Chrissy, who has previously guested on the podcast in the episode on The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. So I guess we only bring you in for sorcery related. <laughs> yeah, we Accurate. summoned her from the other side of the country. And if you knew Chrissy, you would know that that's highly appropriate. <laughs> for the cackle alone. That's just what happens. We really typecast you, I think. I typecast myself. It's fine. Yes. So one of the memorable moments of Chrissy's youth was uh, fetishizing David Bowie's codpiece in Labyrinth. So yes. you need a refresher. <laughs> just, just think of that. Yes. <laughs> Boys pod cod piece. Yes, <laughs> think of that. I, that's what I always think of when I'm like Chrissy. Aww, <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you for being our first repeat guest. My pleasure. Yes, it's wonderful to have you back, and wonderful that someone would come back. <laughs> <laughs> that's the real surprise of it all, is that you agreed to this again. <laughs> oh, hell yes. Are you kidding? So before we invoke all the spirit of mental... <laughs> mental. Mental. So is that with, like, a French accent, mental, or, like, if I'm American like I am, is it just Manon? Man, man no, because they all say Manon. <laughs> they all say it that way. Yeah, I think, I, again, the way I characterize it is that you kind of give up halfway through. <laughs> and you're like, Manon. I went through my entire youth watching this movie 
at least a dozen times, if not more, mm. and always thought it was Menol. It is not. I, I found <laughs> out for this part. I was like, is it M A N O N? Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's that's yeah. It's definitely what I thought, and it's also like it's clear which actors in the cast have spoken French in some capacity <laughs> before, and which have not. <laughs> Yes, it's actually a made-up god uh, yes, it for is. the movie. Then why didn't yeah, they make up a better name? <laughs> like what? <laughs> Sorry. What would your god's name be? I don't know, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> You're fired from writing this movie. Why not use a real pagan or, deity? Why not what are those? Hail to the watch look into witchcraft Frank. and do a movie about witchcraft? And Frank, <laughs> we summon you. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they were too scared the god actually would be summoned. Maybe that's why. That is actually they were not. Is they were really? not sure yes. for that. Well, they thought it would be disrespectful to do a, an actual like god that people worshipped or would do spells to and for. So I bring it back to Frank. <laughs> Honestly, Frank was there the whole time, and they just let it go. Hey, I, I do sometimes do spells for Sinatra. So uh, before we get into all of the stuff that we just said, <laughs> yeah, we're going to read a new review that we have on iTunes. It is our longest review to date. Wow. <laughs> would anyone care to guess how many stars? Uh, five, I hope. Is it more than five? No, it's five. Okay. <laughs> I think we'll we'll take it. We'll take it. I mean, if you would have reviewed us seven stars, that would be more appreciated. But again, I understand. Find a way to hack iTunes and give us more stars. That's what we're basically asking. We don't ask a lot of you, really. Chrissy, would you mind doing the honors and reading our review for us? As Not a, at all. As an please. impartial party. <laughs> As a neutral observer. (laughs) So neutral. A must-listen for the Nostalgia Junkies by Bleach24. I could not be happier to have stumbled upon this podcast. I have plowed through probably a dozen episodes the past few months, keeping me wildly entertained while commuting or recently on a long road trip. I'm admittedly a sucker for pop culture nostalgia, but these folks hit the sweet spot with mostly 90s movies and music. The themed episodes are amazing, where several similar topics are discussed, compared, and looked at to see how well they have or have not aged with time. The hosts bring a critical view, personal stories, and nonstop humor to the table. I related over my love of several seminal cities from my youth, Alanis, no doubt, etc. Fondly rewatched classic movies like League of Their Own and Jurassic Park with a new perspective, and again laughed a lot along the way. Their take of the now cringeworthy movie Ladybugs nearly had me peeing my pants, while their track-by-track review of Now That's What I Call Music had me reliving all the awkwardness of junior high. I'm going to marry this person. (laughs) And I pretty much lost it when the Pure Moods compilation CD was covered. Apparently, I was not the only person to lose my virginity to the the mood-setting masterpiece. (laughs) That poor, poor girl. (laughs) For the record, I did not lose my virginity More like impure moods. <laughs> Becky runs the show, bringing Ooh. sharp analysis, reflection, and wit. <laughs> Meanwhile, Chris has impeccable taste, is hilarious, and I could tell is sexy as could be. Seth is okay, too. <laughs> Seth is also present. Hey. This podcast is listen. Hey, hey, I look forward to more episodes to come. <laughs> I'm assuming one of Seth's friends probably wrote <laughs> Nope, probably one of my parents. <laughs> but which one of them thinks I'm sexy? Is yeah. <laughs> and just thinks yeah. you're okay. Again, it could be either one. That doesn't narrow it down. <laughs> Who wrote this review? Bleach24. Bleach 24. Yeah, we 
I don't know who that is. Um, I did not pay them to do it. <laughs> Bleach 24, show yourself coward. <laughs> Bleach 24, will you marry all of us? Thank you for that review. Except for Except sex. <laughs> <laughs> well, he comes part of it. He's part Our of that. Our nuptials are off. I like how he's designated a leader for the show as well. <laughs> Becky, apparently you run the show. I'm the only lady, so. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. She's bossy pants. Well, thank you very much for that review. We very much appreciate all our reviews. So if you are listening and you have not yet left us a lovely five-star review that compliments at least two of our hosts, (laughs) please do so immediately. Thank you. I'm just going to sit over here and cry for this episode. This will be a very special episode where Mm. Seth just weeps openly. You can put a a spell on Bleach 24. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to summon your ass. I bind you, Bleach 24. (laughs) Yeah, I bind you from minimizing me. (laughs) You can put a spell on him like uh, like, uh, Sarah did in the movie to skeet Ulrich. It'll be obsessed with you. And then we'll get nothing but reviews of like, (laughs) Seth, 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 Seth. Now that's what I'm looking for. (laughs) Before we cast our main spell for this episode, I have an opening question for you that I think is asked by one Mr. Ronald McDonald. (laughs) Oh my god, what? Do you believe in magic? And I hope you do. (laughs) (laughs) I totally remember that commercial. Me too. How was that not determined too disturbing for children? <laughs> I don't understand how we all watched this and we're like, yeah, that seems like an acceptable person to have around a bunch of young children and just one adult dude dressed as a clown. A yeah. Question. And the lyrics in this are different, but the, the song has the lyrics, um, do you believe in magic in hamburgers that talk chicken McNuggets you can take for a walk and a clown making wishes come true? Yeah, uh, that's disturbing. Because yeah. Is yeah. the chicken not dead? Yeah, because exactly. that's exactly, and you're no, eating something it, that's sentient and I'm, speaks I'm to you. The, that whole series of commercials was just utterly macabre and really taught us strange ways of relating to our food as well as to clowns. Yeah, mm. well, we're all fucked. <laughs> Pretty much. Is this episode now about McDonald's commercials? It is now, yes. yes. I've pivoted into That's that. That's how much we liked the crap. <laughs> That's the real, <laughs> the real black magic. Yeah. <laughs> no, I would like to ask, do you believe in magic? Or did you believe in magic when you were young? And, like, what kind of magic? I'll start. As somebody who literally just took classes at the Magic Castle here in L.A., six weeks of magic classes? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> a ringing endorsement for the Magic Castle. Wow. I believe in skilled skills. Learning skilled skills. I, learning skills. I believe in skilled skills t-shirts will be available soon. Listeners, what you can't see is the, the claw hands grabbing motion that yeah. Becky was making as she said she believed Just in skills. Just pretend there's a deck of cards floating between each other. Oh, is that That's what it was? What that was. Yeah. I thought you were giving yourself a mammogram. <laughs> I thought it was David Bowie's magic levitating balls, or she was grabbing his codpiece. <laughs> no, when David Copperfield makes the Statue of Liberty disappear, I don't think that's magic. <laughs> so. But, like, as a kid, did you ever believe in magic? I mean, maybe when I was super little, but not, not when I started really thinking about the world, no. You were exposed too early to reality. <laughs> yeah, maybe. What about you, Seth? I love this question. I very, 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 very deeply at my core wanted to believe in magic for the very longest time. I loved any kind of ghost stories. I loved all variety of 
supernatural stories and watched things like Unsolved Mysteries at a traumatizingly young age. I was into the book series Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I was into, you know, Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark? And basically just any and all of that kind of spooky realm and of the kind of quest to figure out the things that no one can figure out. And always just really intrigued by people's experiences of things that they couldn't explain. And so that didn't carry over into, like, belief in Santa Claus or fairies or... It didn't have a kind of spiritual connotations for me at the time. It was more kind of the sense of adventure and the unexpected and the unknown. So many things that you say in this podcast, and in particular right now, I'm like, yes, that's exactly what it was like for me growing up. Like, that was, I was so entrenched in fantasy and in that genre and reading all the books, like Narnia. And I mean, I'm a god, like, even into well into adulthood where maybe it shouldn't even be mm-hmm. acceptable anymore. I still very much <laughs> want at the very core of my being for magic to be real. And. I've explored paganism and witchcraft and explored the spirituality of it. Like, growing up, Greek mythology was, like, oh, my God, it was my favorite thing. Like, that's one thing where I can still really nerd out about and just anything having to deal with explaining the inexplicable and just really wanting to understand, like, and wanting to believe the world is just so much more interesting than it really is. And that's, like, why I got so lost in all those stories and still to this day just gravitate towards it. I just love that idea as someone who has practiced like paganism and stuff like that um have you ever has that ever given you sort of a even a brief moment of like magic absolutely yeah yeah i know that sounds like really (laughs) anybody who doesn't believe it's gonna be like oh my god this girl's such a wingnut but i've had psychic encounters i've had out-of-body experiences i've dealt with feelings of, you know, ghostly presence and things that you can't explain away. And if you believe, then that's really all that matters. It's kind of like, it's a leap of faith to believe in God. Why is it any different to believe that you're visited by a spirit or have some kind of psychic intuition? Yeah, and I've had actually a lot of, I don't know if I would call them psychic, because that is the kind of application of like a supernatural term, but I've had like intuitive episodes and moments in my life that literally could not be explained by anything rational or factual or any of that. I have never been a big fan of, like, tricks or sleight of hand or skilled skills, as <laughs> some people call them. Do not mislead Chris with your skilled skills. And I've always found it strange that that's called magic, because I, people who like that stuff generally don't believe that it is magic. It, they realize that it's all... Skilled skills. Trickery. Yes, it's skilled skills, yes. <laughs> but I find myself actually like very agnostic about magic because there are so many things in this world that I think would be described as magic if we hadn't already like kind of attributed some scientific phenomenon to them, like gravity or caterpillars turning into butterflies or share. <laughs> I don't know how she's still kicking. That's pure science, yeah. baby. Yeah. That science. is pure science. <laughs> Maybe it's magic. Who am I to say? So that's kind of my attitude about religion and, and magic, because I also kind of think of them together as, like, what do I know? Like, if someone says they saw a ghost or, you know, had some sort of intuition, I'm slightly skeptical of it, but I'm also like, you know what? Maybe that's true. I'm, I'm very willing to kind of go with things, and I, I feel like I've had moments, like 
you guys were describing that are kind of just too weird, too coincidental to possibly be. And so I, I do kind of view the world as this sort of like heightened, like maybe something super crazy is going to happen. And if, I don't know, if something magical did happen, I'd probably be like, okay, you know, like that makes sense. I mean, the world has already gone kind of crazy. So I feel like at this point, anything could happen. So it seems like I'm the most cynical one of this, <laughs> this podcast episode. <laughs> Your answer to Ronald McDonald is a firm no. <laughs> I will still take his french fries. So that will bring us to The Craft, which was released on May 3rd, 1996. It was directed by Andrew Fleming, written by Andrew Fleming and Peter Filardi. Uh, Andrew Fleming does not have a whole lot of credits outside of TV recently, but he did also do another movie about teen girls in the 90s, Dick. Really? Yes, a very different movie. <laughs> that was Michelle Williams and Kristen Dunst. Yes, right? and it was about Dick <laughs> uh, Nixon. So at the time this movie was being made, the dominant female stars were Winona Ryder and Claire Danes, both of whom I could easily see like starring in this movie. Yeah. Absolutely. I wonder if they were even approached for it. Maybe they were probably too expensive because this was a $15 million movie and like it was kind of a risk for the studio. They did consider Angelina Jolie and Alicia Silverstone. Both of them were not yet huge deals. Angelina Jolie was unknown and left this movie to do Foxfire. And Alicia Silverstone had shot Clueless, but it had not come out yet. So no one knew that she was going to be the biggest deal. I can so see both of those people. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would have been a better movie, actually. I actually was thinking that, too. All four of those... I'm assuming Angelina Jolie for uh, Feruza Balk's part. No, for Sarah. Oh. Really? It was both of them for Sarah, oh. the main, the lead. Oh, man. Also, Scarlett Johansson was considered, but she was 12. I was what? like, wasn't she like a zygote? <laughs> like, when they did Ghost World come out? Because that was her like first like big movie. Play something she's not supposed to be playing. Yeah, that's no. like seven <laughs> years later. Yeah, well, she was a teen actress in some stuff, like uh, The Horse Whisperer. Yeah, but, but still I don't know why crazy. they would consider her for this, but she didn't get the Part, obviously. The first cast was Rachel True, who plays Rochelle. Uh, of this part, she said <laughs> that she was always cast as the girl who asks the white girl, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's oh. so sad. So she was actually really excited that she had a character and her own like storyline in this movie. Um, the original version of her character was bulimic and white, but uh, when Andrew Fleming came on to the movie, he changed it so that one of the characters was black and was dealing with racism. Next cast was Feruza Balk, who was best known and probably still is best known besides this movie for being Dorothy Gale in Return to Oz, which is a very different performance than <laughs> Nancy in this movie. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I would kind of like to see like the goth version of... like. Like a goth going to Oz and being like, fuck you. Isn't like, that what Return to Oz is? <laughs> a little, a little, but at least Dorothy's supposed to be, you know, still Judy Garlandish, A little bit. What else was Feruza Balk in? Was she in American History X? Yes. Yes, and The Water, and the water Boy. Boy. The Water Boy. <laughs> yep, and she was also in The Island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, oh yeah. We don't speak of that <laughs> in polite circles. The actress Robin Tunney wanted to be Bonnie. She had short hair for Empire Records, so they made her wear a wig throughout this movie. And it's so distracting. Yeah. That's crazy. It was driving me crazy the whole movie. And now that I think about it, if she had, like, this sort of, like, punk rock short hair, that would have made more sense for the character. Yeah. That would have made so much more sense. It would have worked. Yeah, it was the studio that made her, like, wear a wig, because I guess she had to be pretty. She had to be wholesome. Yeah. She had to be the relatable one. 
Well, she was the one that wasn't trying to outwardly be like, I'm a witch. So it made sense for her to look more normal. I guess, but I still feel like she should have had some edge to her. And then Nev Campbell rounds out the cast. She was actually cast as Bonnie, and she was the most famous of the cast from Party of Five. And soon scream. And soon scream. (laughs) But not yet. (laughs) (laughs) So in a way, this movie was a precursor to the big teen boom that we've discussed several times uh, on this podcast. This was less than a year after Clueless, so it wasn't in any way a reaction to Clueless. It was a few months before Scream, it was before Buffy, and it was also before a lot of YA that we've read since that deals with, like, teen witches or teens and magic, which is, like, everywhere these days. And even before Harry Potter, too. So this was kind of a gamble. Like, the studio wasn't really sure what they were making with this movie, because movies about teen girls had not really been made very often, and especially, like, a kind of dark movie. I don't know. I guess it was the 90s. They were just, like, taking a chance on it. And I don't think they would today if they were this unsure about it. They just, like, totally did not get what movie they were making. And it was all the filmmakers who had to kind of be like, we know what we're doing. Did they, though? (laughs) (laughs) This was also the year that Sabrina the Teenage Witch debuted. (laughs) So. Wow. There was a thing for witches in the 90s. During production, they had a witchcraft advisor named Pat, who really does belong to a coven. Mm. They used some real spells, made some up, and as we discussed, they made up Menon, the (laughs) uh, god of everything, I guess. Oh, you mean Menon? Menon. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, they were careful not to use, like, real spells verbatim because they might be dangerous if viewers tried to emulate them. Mm. Might be dangerous. But they talk about slitting your wrist the right way. Yeah, we'll get into that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Spells, though. Mm. That's what you really got to look out for. Pat, the witchcraft advisor, also cast a spell to make them number one at the box office. And it worked. For how many weeks? One. It was number one for one week, and then it was replaced by... Else. <laughs> <laughs> Twister. Yeah. During production, they were plagued by a lot of weird phenomenon. A flock of crows once flew into the set out of nowhere. And during the beach scene, when they were calling the corners, they had researched the tides and they had been kind of told that the tides would only go up to a certain level. And then they came in and like washed away the set, <laughs> which is actually seen in one scene. So uh, also during that scene, a large number of bats appeared. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Just for the record, it's a murder of crows, not a flock. <laughs> You're very right. I, I am <laughs> ashamed. A little gother. In that the is room the best animal this. group name. Yes, I totally it is. forgot it. <laughs> and here I was just thinking about a goth version of Flock of Seagulls showing up on set. <laughs> I'm kicked out of the coven. <laughs> we forgive you. So, did you guys see the craft when it came out? No, I did not. Um, That is surprising. I outright refused to see this film, and it made my high school career that much fucking harder, and I really hate this movie, just for that alone. Wait, but you did see it at some point in your youth. Yes, but not in theaters. I was like, fuck this movie, fuck you appropriating my goth culture, and trying to make it, you know, trendy or interesting, and nobody's gonna get it, and now everybody's gonna think I'm a crazy witch. And they did, and it really actually created a lot more problems for me than I needed. Mm -hmm. So I have a real personal vendetta against this film for that reason. Do you think that the crafts, like, kind of focus, like, what they might not have put in certain terms, like witchcraft or something, do you think that the movie is actually what kind of helped them build that context and actually kind of say, oh, like, you're a witch, like, in this movie, whereas otherwise, you know, they might not have made quite that association? 
Well, that was just it. Like, I think they always just thought I was a weirdo or a freak. And then suddenly it was like, oh, well, she casts spells or, oh, well, you know, she's obsessed with the devil. And you know, and I was like, I don't do any of those things. Mm-hmm. I just like black. I just like wearing all black. And yeah, I was actually the most non-confrontational freak in my school. I didn't cause a ruckus. I didn't get into trouble. I just like to wear whatever I like to wear. And you kept just, to yourself, yeah. and they're the ones that would come up to you and be like, oh, freak, and exactly. put that stuff on you. Exactly. I was like, I didn't ask for any of this. I'm just... Mm. Like, and that was just it. I It got a lot of unwanted attention. And that was just... I guess weird, because I, th- I think people assumed I wanted attention, mm-hmm. but it was actually couldn't be farther from the truth. I was really just trying to express who I was as a person that had nothing to do with what you thought of me. Yeah. So I wasn't on display for everybody to critique or tease. It was just what I like. And Chrissy, did you have kind of your own little tribe and community around those lines? Or were your friend groups kind of arranged just around, you know, being friends with each other? Funnily enough, I remember the first day I wore all black. And it was like a coming out party for me in that sense. It was like the first, it was in seventh grade on my birthday. And I showed up wearing all black for the first time, and I never felt more like myself mm. than in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I had met Becky that year. Mm-hmm. And, like, we became friends in seventh grade, mm-hmm. but I probably wasn't drawn to you because you're close. You're just, like, a good person, and we got along, you know? But I think that your ability to express yourself the way you want to rubbed off on me in, like, a good way. I guess I would was kind of goth in like for like two years, <laughs> but it depends on the day. It's like, oh, today I feel like wearing all black and black lipstick. The next day I feel like wearing Old Navy. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, the next day I like wearing my like purple hippie skirt with like purple eyeshadow and green lipstick. And the next day I'll wear jeans. <laughs> you were trying it on. Yeah, I was, and, but which, I but I like it. And I still like that. I still like when like emo became a thing, like I was totally kind of into that, but it kind of depended on the day. It's like, oh, today I feel like, you know, brushing my hair to the side and like, you know, but I felt like that was natural to me. Like I wasn't trying to impress anybody. Exactly. I just felt comfortable seeing somebody like you and our friends be able to express themselves that way. I felt like, oh, I'm allowed to do that too. Mm-hmm. So I feel like people probably thought that we were doing it for attention to be like, I'm freaky, like pay attention to me. And we watched the craft and we were inspired by that. But like, it wasn't like that. It's just funny that people probably thought that about us, but really it's like, well, today I feel like dressing like this and tomorrow I'll feel like dressing like something else. Well, and don't get me wrong. Like I definitely used a lot of the witchcraft shit to my advantage. Like when the craft came out, uh, it turned into this thing where they're like, well, she's a real witch. So don't fuck with her. And, like, it, people became scared of me. There was, like, a whole... There was a group of kids that would make, like, go out of their way to make fun of me. But then there was always the kids would be like, don't do it. <laughs> and, like... And it was really satisfying. I was like, yeah, that's right. That's right, motherfucker. Like, I'll, like, I'll cast a spell on you. And I was like, all right. I actually made money. Like, I had girls come up to me. And this is a true story. I had a girl come up to me. extortion Yeah. She was like, yo, I heard, like, you can cast spells. Like, can you cast a spell on my boyfriend? I was like, yeah, 20 bucks. <laughs> she gave me 20 bucks, and I said, okay, the way my spells work, it takes time. You need to think about it every day. It takes installment plays. Well, and I said, I was like, think about it every day, really focus on it, and I guarantee you something bad will happen to him. Three weeks later, <laughs> she came up to me, grabbed me by the shoulders, and went, oh, my God, he broke his leg in a skiing accident. Thank you. 
<laughs> I was like, yep, that's all me. That's you're 100% right. Did you ever even cast like a little spell just to like Oh, absolutely not. I was just like there's it's inevitable that something bad will happen to this idiot because it's high school and you're an an athlete. Like of course you're going to get injured. Yeah. I had another Another girl, I worked at a party giant just because I thought it was hilarious. Like, I, all goth, like, gothed out to the nines, blowing up balloons was the funniest thing I thought I could do. So I did it, like, that was, like, my favorite job. This is as much performance art as anything <laughs> exactly. else. So, like, I was just, and, like, I worked with this girl, though. She was such a bitch to me. And she claimed I cast a spell on her to make her fat. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, I wish I could take credit for that, honey, but you're just an idiot who keeps eating all the fucking candy bars in this party giant. <laughs> but you're right, it's me. I cast a spell on you. But you're the one who made her. You cast I, a spell I, to make her eat I compelled the candy bars. her. Yeah. Like yeah, a yeah. puppet. The power of Chrissy compels you. Exactly. <laughs> I summon you, diabetes. <laughs> it was just so wonderful. Like, it's ridiculous shit. Like, oh, I remember this, like, the class clown was, like, hanging up artwork, and he had thumbtacks in his mouth, and he started talking shit about me. <laughs> as he had these thumbtacks in his mouth, and I was like, if you're not careful, you're going to pierce yourself with that thumbtack. And as soon as I said it, he pierced his tongue with the thumbtack, and he was like, you fucking witch? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> It's like the power of logic compels you. Like, like this is how things work. And that was just like my entire high school career was just like taking advantage of people who of did not understand people. correlation and causation. They, yeah, but you it's know perfect. what? This is what witches were back in the Salem times. Exactly. Because Salem old times, because they were just they were just women pointing out the obvious <laughs> yeah. to men. Yeah. And be like, witch. Yeah. And that's not magic because it does not take skilled skills to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's just talking shit and waiting for something to happen. Precisely. It's genius. It's just, yeah. It's genius. Yeah, I made a little profit. It was good. <laughs> so what year was the craft? What year did that 96. come out? 96. In 96, I was in sixth grade. I was not a snazzy dresser. Um, <laughs> but that was kind of the age when, you know, I had a really strong circle of friends in basically kindergarten through eighth grade. And kind of during that just pre-adolescent time, you know, your hormones are starting to rage and people are trying on new personalities, new ways of being, quote-unquote, yourself. So I was not goth, but I had a couple friends who were, both male and female, and I was always really intrigued by it, like, intrigued by the look, intrigued by the attitude, because it was rebellious kind of in one sense, but it was not punk, it was not anarchistic, it was not burn everything down, it was more like the everything is already burning down and what a lovely, beautiful flame it's making. <laughs> um, and as a young, romantic a person who was basically emo from birth, there was a lot in that that I gravitated toward and found really fascinating. So I started like getting into wearing darker clothing, and my friends of mine who were goth were certainly incredibly into the idea of the craft when like the trailers came out and when it was coming out. And so I think I ended up either 
seeing it in the theater like near the end of its run or seeing it when it first came out on video. Again, like I was saying earlier about my kind of like fascination with it, I was really interested in and wanted the craft to be a movie about the kind of serious side of that because so much of any talk about witchcraft or anything like that, especially growing up in the South, was centered on Christian panic, Mm. was centered specifically on like satanic panic. I don't know for you guys how much of that you got, if any, growing up, but throughout the South, it was a gigantic and really fucking serious thing where all of these moralistic authoritarian scolds would keep an incredibly watchful, paranoid eye on all the kids in any kind of group to see if evidence of satanic influence was being felt or seen. And this was also the time when I was still going to Sunday school and still going to church every week, so I got plenty of that inflected with even more overt Jesus tones. So there was a part of my fascination with it that was a bit rebellious, or at least, if not rebellious, then curious about what it actually was that these people around me were afraid of. I saw the craft really soon after it came out, and I definitely found even at the time that it didn't really pique my interest all that much, because ultimately, I didn't really believe that the characters, any of them, would be all that unpopular, and they didn't really seem to be getting all that much from magic that they couldn't just get through being their authentic selves and living their lives. Mm. So I remembered at the time being a little bit disappointed in the movie, but then also, again, kind of interested and intrigued because especially things like the light as a feather, stiff as a board sequence, I was still very much at the age where we were doing like Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, and any other number of assorted occult adjacent activities. (laughs) (laughs) So it was very much a mixed bag, but also kind of not really the full-on exploration of witchery and witchcraft that I had wanted. I didn't see this in theaters, and I probably saw it on DVD at some point. (laughs) And how did it shape your life? (laughs) It didn't. I remember not really being into it. I think I just didn't think it was very good. It didn't really shape my life at all. And I have not seen it until a week ago. So it's funny that we didn't watch it together. But I guess looking back on it. For a very good reason. I really resented it. I saw it with somebody, but. Not me. (laughs) Wasn't Chrissy. (laughs) Not me. Chrissy was at home like, fuck that bitch. Yeah, pretty much. Chrissy was binding Becky while she was watching that movie. There there are three things that I did remember about this movie. I remembered Fruzabalk's face. Terrifying. It's very memorable. <laughs> that was the single most captivating aspect of it to me. She looks like a witch. <laughs> it's good casting. I remember the part where Sarah, the, the main girl, changes her hair color. You can't see it on the podcast, but she like moves her hands over her forehead and she Oh my god, a Becky, you became a brunette. Yeah, and I was always like, I wish it was that easy <laughs> to dye your hair. <laughs> um, and I remembered the Smiths cover of, what is the song called? How Soon Is Now. How Soon Is Now. And I remembered it from this movie and also every other movie in the 90s. <laughs> like every trailer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and uh, like since I rewatched it, I can't get that song out of my head. It's always like, I'm out named the wrong way. Ah, nah, nah. That was beautiful. <laughs> oh, God, Morrissey. <laughs> I did 
listened to it on the way over. <laughs> yes, so did we. <laughs> I'm listening to it right now in my head. <laughs> I believe that exact same cover was used as the Charmed theme song. And it was also, I think, in the trailer for Cruel Intentions? But that was the original. That was the actual But the song version. itself yes. is, was like, I felt yes. like if, if you were going to pick a few songs to be like, this is the 90s, I would pick that song. Mm-hmm. think there was a federal law that mandated it be in every trailer and also i don't know how much radio you guys listen to but i swear to god there was like an uninterrupted period from like 1993 on where every interstitial part where like one radio show would switch over to the next would have that fucking (laughs) so i think i definitely have the fondest memories of this movie from my teen years I did not see it in theaters, but for my 14th birthday, it was given to me as a gift by my friend Desiree, who, as Christy was talking, was definitely the person I was thinking of. She wasn't really goth, but she definitely, like, had her own style. She was more influenced by, like, skater style, but she also would, you know, wear a lot of makeup and maybe wear, like, blue lipstick or something like that. She also seemed like someone, like, that people would think would dress that way to be provocative or, you know, to be different. And she was actually, like, very insecure, but she was just, like, the quietest, like, very nicest person and not at all doing it in that way. So it definitely reminded me of of what you were saying. Anyway, she got it for me because I was obsessed with Christine Taylor. (laughs) Oh, Oh, wow. The racist blonde. Yes. Melody. (laughs) (laughs) I had never seen this movie yet. Um, And I had not really seen rated R movies at all. So it's possible that this was my first rated R movie. Christine Taylor was in the Brady Bunch the year before? Yes. 95? Yes. So, okay. Yes, so I was a year into my full-on boner for <laughs> Marsha Brady. <laughs> Did you get that checked out by a doctor? <laughs> Probably a few times, yeah. I remember thinking, like, oh my god, like, this is a rated R movie. Like, I don't even know if my parents will let me keep this or watch it. I don't remember them even really mentioning it, or maybe they weren't paying attention. But anyway, so I watched it, but it was kind of, like, the secret movie that I would watch because, like, I didn't want anyone to know it was rated R, even though the content of it wasn't really anything worse than I'd seen elsewhere. So this was kind of a Scream-adjacent, like, teen movie, and it was one of the first VHSs I owned that was, like, a more grown-up movie versus, like, Disney stuff that I probably had before. So I watched it, like, pretty frequently. I don't know how many times I've seen this movie, but I would say definitely over a dozen, maybe, like, two dozen or something. I once went to Toy Thai here in L.A. to eat and sat right across from Feruza Balk. (gasps) 
it was one of those setups where like your tables are touching each other. Like it's a big row of tables. And, and so like I was directly like across from her and I could not stop staring at her because she is <laughs> such a magnetic person. She is. She's beautiful. That's what I'm saying. Like she's just, there's something about her. There's something about Feruza. Yeah. You're not going to balk at her. <laughs> she she's was striking. dressed very much like she is in this movie. Like she's not really wearing a costume in this movie. No, she's definitely I think not. she's actually um she actually is Wiccan. Yeah. You know, like she actually um like believes in mm-hmm. that stuff. Yeah, and that was even true at the time. Hmm. So she was she, this was very much her look. They might have like jazzed it up a little bit for the movie, but she was you know, in dark colors and had the same kind of makeup and hair, like dark hair color. So I just like kept making eye contact with her and I'm like looking down at my pad tie. <laughs> you like, please don't cast a spell on me. <laughs> no, I, do, I wasn't worried. But she does seem like someone who could like freak out on you and be very mean. I'm, I doubt that that's her personality, but I guess I was so used to this movie that I was like terrified that she would like scream at me or something if she caught me like staring at her. So I was like really trying not to, but also kept doing it. <laughs> My last uh, fond memory of this movie is actually from a few years ago. I went to the Hollywood Forever Cemetery where they screen uh, nostalgic movies lately, mostly like 80s and 90s movies. And me and three friends dressed up as the boy version of the craft uh, in Catholic schoolboy outfits, but with like goth kind of um, accoutrement. Yes, uh, Mr. Craft. <laughs> that episode of American Dad. And this was also like I, I think it was the day before Halloween or a couple days, so I ended up going as that for Halloween. So there's a Halloween story. I, I have a Halloween story too. It's not just you, Becky. No. Uh, so yeah, I I always enjoyed this movie. It was never a movie that I thought a lot about like, in the way that like Scream kind of really shaped my sensibility of what I liked and um, was just very influential on me. This movie was more just like a movie that I enjoyed and was kind of in the background of my entire teen experience. So the movie grossed $24.8 million here, which was more kind of than they were expecting, but was not a huge hit. But it then became like a big, huge hit on video. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 50%, which is, you know, straight down the middle. Fair. Yeah. You might appreciate this uh, quote from the Entertainment Weekly Review, which gave the movie a B-. Owen Gleiberman says, As the most spiteful of the four, Feruza Balk suggests a Molly Ringwald who grew up with Riot Girls as role models. Short but fierce, with milky skin, glittering eyes, and a flash of gum smile that's as freaky as it is lewd, Balk plays a witch-bitch punk with a ferocity that's too genuine to be camp. And Stephen Holden of the New York Times said, As the witchcraft escalates, the movie exchanges its psychological acuity for garish special effects that hammer home a ponderous warning to once and future witches, be good or else. So let's start with Chrissy. Like, how did you feel about watching the craft again? (laughs) (laughs) You know what's funny? I actually didn't hate it as much as I hated the memory of it and everything it did to me as a teenage girl. I actually was like, oh, it's, you know, it's not, I'm not as angry at it as I once was. I still think Feruza Balk's performance is just, it just made me think of everything that was wrong with my high school experience. Just that overdramatic, yeah, like, I'm such a bitch and I'm going to come and get you. I was like, that's, this is why people gave me shit. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what, what you're doing is why I had problems. <laughs> you're a witch. They were right. They usually are. Nancy, come on, get off the bed, let's go. She's a witch too, you know. I mean, the only reason you're in love with her is because she cast a spell on you. No. Yes. 
sad but true. That's why I'm here. To help you forget about it. What do you care? Nancy, get off the bed. Look, you scared the shit out of him. Thank you very much. Let's go. No. He's gotta pay. You're just jealous. Jealous? Jealous? You don't even exist to me. You don't even exist. You are nothing. You are shit. You don't exist. I also was like, no, but I knew freak girls who were like that. Like, I, it made me think of this specific anecdote from, it was my last year of high school. And one of, you remember Amy? Mm-hmm. She was one of those girls that if you started to make fun of her, she would just go right in your face and be like, yeah, like I'm such a witch. Ugh, like I'm going to get you in the nights. And I would always be like, <laughs> Amy, you're engaging them. This is what they want. Stop doing it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. her biggest, I'm not going to name names here, but her biggest torturer was this guy who ended up being the older brother of my kid brother's best friend. I know that's you know, one of those high school complicated mm-hmm. family tree things. But I remember so distinctly one day he decided to pick on me, but all he said to me was, nice eyeliner. <laughs> <laughs> so I just smiled and went, oh my God, thank you. I worked really hard on it. <laughs> And I walked away, and it was, like, the best thing I could have possibly done because he just kind of – he just, like, like jerked back a little and was like, huh, that was interesting. Recalculating. Yeah. Recalculating. <laughs> hey, that Apparently, wasn't a this, is dir- this is a direct quote. Wait a minute. Did I actually say something nice to a woman? Yeah, he was <laughs> – really, exactly. This guy, trust me, this guy had problems. He apparently went home that night and told his – brother my my little brother's best friend he was like yeah i like that chrissy girl actually she's all right and he was like really why he's like she's such a freak though you hate freaks he goes she doesn't wave her cape in my face (laughs) (laughs) and it it was it was like the minute he said it he was like okay so yeah like he likes you now and you can just keep, you know, proceed. You can do whatever you want. It's amazing. Like, he won't make fun of you. And now you're married. <laughs> well, no. But it's, but still, I just remember being like, that's all it takes to disarm people is just not react. And I feel like that was so much of the problem with that movie was just how much he was reacting. Mm-hmm. And it was mostly for Zabalk, though, because the other characters weren't really like that. Well, they were just, like, minions. Like, that was the other, like, I had a huge problem with a lot of the ways all the other witches behaved in the movie. They just kind of were like, like, I was a bossy teenage girl, but I still had friends that, like, stand up to me and be like, you're being a bitch or, like, stop being crazy. And it just, I don't know, like, watching the movie again, I was like, it's so interesting to see, like, how the teen dynamic, no matter what group you're in, can exist that way. Yeah, this is Mean Girls on a Broom, I think. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's really good. Well, but see, one thing Mean Girls does so well that makes it such a better movie is it gives all of the Mean Girls interesting and different personalities, whereas I think what Chrissy's saying is exactly what I felt coming away from watching The Craft this time, of like the extent to which all witches that are not Feruza Balk are just these kind of empty vessels into which extra Feruza Balk is then poured, Mm -hmm. And I wonder how much of her over-the-topness is a compensation for the relative blandness of the other characters. It seems like that 
that performance as a thing that she was egged on into doing and like pushed more in that direction of being overt and and I think obnoxious but I think part of that is also just like a compensation for the relative lack of content and depth to those other characters correct I know you guys think we're getting what we want now but it's gonna come back to us threefold ooh <laughs> Are we actually having a theological conversation here? I mean, it's fun. It's scary. I mean, who gives a shit? Oh, Nancy, we do. What do you guys think? They don't think. Bitch. And stop trying to win them over because it won't work. I'm not trying to win them over. You're paranoid. I'm paranoid? Paranoid. I am not paranoid. Paranoid. <laughs> do you guys shut up? <laughs> Do you want in, or do you want to leave the circle? Because just tell me right now. Why does it always have to be that way with you, Nancy? Because that's the way it is. All I'm saying is I think you should think, and I don't want out. First, Bach was considered, like, the Meryl Streep of the cast because the other actresses, some of them had worked a fair bit before. Some of them were newer, but, like, she was the one that, like, was really known for, I don't know if she was being method exactly for this, but that she was really bringing, like, something to this, and the rest of their acting was much more what you'd expect of kind of a teen movie of this era, whereas, like, she doesn't remind you of any other character, really, from (laughs) any other movie, at least. I can't think of it. Until Heath Ledger's Joker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't expecting much when I was rewatching this movie. I liked it, <laughs> surprisingly. And I don't think it's perfect, and we'll get into it. And I think that the, the last third kind of, like, gets more, like, eh, uh, more problematic. Less skilled skills. Less skilled mm-hmm. skills. More, it, it just, it, what, it, I wish it ended on a better note. Yeah. But, like, I was really expecting to be kind of offended. I don't know. It's a movie with four young women as the characters, and I thought there would just be more to be cringy about, but I actually was like, I like this. <laughs> like, like yeah. I'm, I'm kind of invested in what's going on and, and where their stories are going, so I was actually surprised by it. I thought it was I thought it was an entertaining coming of age movie that that was actually more progressive than I expected as far as the characters go. Yeah, I mean I just want to reemphasize like the le- far less cringy than expected part of it. Yeah. You know, and it's it's certainly I think the case that telling a story about four high school girls becoming witches there are like levels to that like in terms of a kind of gender critique or even like a queerness critique that would be added to a movie like this if it were made now that would just inherently make it a deeper and more interesting movie but even despite the lack of that, I did find that it was a really kind of interesting and not paternalistic way of telling this story. Yeah, absolutely. And that was really the driving force behind it, was trying to tell a story that was about women recognizing some power. I drink up my sisters, and I ask for the ability to not hate those who hate me, especially Racist pieces of bleach blonde shit like Laura Lizzie. Mm. Right up. I drink of my sisters and I ask to love myself more and to allow myself to be loved more by others. Especially Chris Fucker. <laughs> I know it's pathetic. Definitely pathetic. <laughs> 
I drink of my sisters, and I take into myself the power to be beautiful, outside as well as in. Uh, the setup for those who haven't seen the movie or haven't seen it in a while is uh, the main character Sarah comes into town with her uh, dad and her stepmom uh, into LA, a very rainy version of Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. I don't so want to interrupt you your plot synopsis, but why did this movie take place in LA? Like, why is this not in the Pacific Northwest or any kind of like general geographical area with like atmosphere? Yeah. <laughs> like, why is it Los Angeles? Yeah. Well. <laughs> Great question. Goths Angeles. <laughs> because yeah. she arrives and it's raining and it's already like that's not what LA typically is when you know when you think of LA and move like This was pre climate change. <laughs> I think they were going for kind of a cultural thing that you can find here, but it's not really that much in the movie. So it, yeah, it's a little confused. It doesn't quite feel like the right setting. I bet you it took place in Portland and they're like, well, we're filming in LA because budget. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, but like even they didn't, there's nothing LA about this movie. Yeah. There's no, like they need to be at the Hollywood yeah. walk for this scene. Um, one thing that they did want to do was have kind of like an old house feel to it. Like they live in a, in a really old house and they, they wanted that atmosphere, but again, I don't think that that had to be in LA. Like anywhere else could have been fine, especially for as much it's raining in almost every scene. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so she meets uh, three girls who already go to her Catholic school. The main one is Nancy, played by Fruza Balk, who's, as Christy stated, the very aggressive. People will make fun of her. People will be quite cruel to her, but she'll be kind of nasty back to them. So she's very much escalating the the antagonism there. And then the other two are much nicer and kind of more docile girls. Bonnie, played by Nev Campbell, who has a scar from a, a burn that we we don't really learn, I think, about yeah, the past Yeah, what's the deal it. with that? Yeah. What's, what is, what Did is she Did somebody got? burn her, or was she just in a house fire? They I never say. Yeah. That would have been nice, it some nice backstory. Good, yeah, give her some depth. Especially if it was, like, somebody at school, like, did a prank or something. Oh, God. Mm. That would have been amazing. <laughs> carrying it up a little. Like, I think that would have been yeah. interesting. She was actually, actually in the Cary High School gymnasium, <laughs> yeah. and that's what happened. <laughs> uh, and then the last girl is Rochelle, played by Rachel True, who... Uh, is a swimmer and is black and is then denigrated by uh, the wonderful Christine Taylor, <laughs> who's, who's not su- wonderful in this super movie. Super racist in this movie. She's a real bitch in this movie. <laughs> She's a bit on the nose about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but she will say, you know, very direct racist things that are even hard to imagine coming out of anyone's <laughs> mouth. But, oh, I'm sorry. I'm a cartoon racist. <laughs> <laughs> so they all have their own uh, literal or mental scars. Uh, Nancy comes from like a trailer and her stepfather is kind of abusive and just a jerk. I think you get the idea that he like probably molested her. Yeah. Or tries to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He definitely like grabs her at one point. Mm -hmm. And Sarah, early on in the film, we learned that she tried to commit suicide because she has scars on her wrist from where she slit them. So they all have a cross to bear or a pentagram to bear, I guess. (laughs) 
And the reason that I go into that setup is because I did really appreciate looking at it this time, how it does go through the effort of creating different kind of situations that all of these girls are in. And I think they come off with varying degrees of success. I think Nancy's comes off really well and is actually definitely the most interesting plot. Even when she's home with just her stepdad and there's nothing magical going on or with her mom like later in the movie after they've collected some life insurance, I'm still interested in those scenes because I'm interested in her as a person and her Mm -hmm. mom is like this kind of funny like white trash like trailer trash lots of trash there's there's a relationship there that feels developed in the background yeah yeah and and with that storyline especially you get a sense of the life outside the pages of the script and outside Mm -hmm. the minutes of this movie definitely yeah and sarah kind of but yeah, these, these things all could have been developed more, but I like the way that these are all set up as not just challenges for the women, but they're all revolve around beauty and sex. And Rochelle is being made fun of for her the color of her skin, the way she looks. Bonnie has these scars that force her to cover up her body. Nancy is being leered at by this guy. And, and we get the sense that like that really has probably shaped like how she's become so defensive, mm-hmm. especially against men at, at school. And then Sarah, in the course of the movie, starts dating Chris briefly, played by Skeet Ulrich. And then as soon as she won't have sex with him, he spreads rumors that she's a slut, yet she still is kind of into him. And so I liked the way that this movie set up these very kind of relatable problems that women have and is a movie about how they don't accept those things and they don't just let that kind of guide the course of their life, but they actually kind of fight back against it and female friendship kind of becomes like the weapon against men trying to put them in their place. So Christy, how did you feel about how this portrayed like paganism and all that? Did you feel like it was accurate at all or did it represent kind of the spirit of it or was it just totally off base? For me, it felt, all right, well, there's two different thoughts here. When I was a teenager, I was like, this is wildly inaccurate and how dare you? But I wasn't a practicing pagan then. Like, I was interested in the occult, and I read a lot, but I was more, not, I don't know, I was more open to the idea of those things, but not practicing, and it just felt like this movie was way off base. And then as now as an adult, I watch it and go, this is kind of like a very loving tribute to, like, opening that world to mm-hmm. somebody who may not know. Like, a teenager watching this movie might go, like, this might be interesting. I mean, obviously, spell casting is usually not as uh, intense. <laughs> Manol has never, or whatever, how do you say it? Manol. 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 Has never entered me. <laughs> filled that me. you know of. I have yet to be bit. filled by. Yeah, that was a bit on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> and on the vagina, as far as metaphors are concerned. So, but then that's, as an adult, I was like, okay, I could see where a teenage girl who might be interested in the occult might be intrigued by it enough to look into it more. And I think it's interesting that there was a a pagan on the premises Mm -hmm. who was kind of making sure that they were kind of true to casting and doing all that kind of stuff. So So I wanted to talk about the R rating for a minute because I was actually just talking about this problem with a more recent movie, Eighth Grade, which stars a young girl who's probably about 14 and is rated R, even though from what I remember, there are like two times that someone says fuck in that movie and that's it. But it's because she exhibits some curiosity about sex. And it's not even that she really does anything, but she's just like portraying like basically a realistic situation with a young girl. Yeah. 
this movie is kind of the same thing, I feel like, is it's like what institutions and patriarchal institutions are most afraid of is like a young woman's like sexuality and her being like open and not like either a victim or a total bad girl slut or something like that. But someone who's actually just like having normal experiences is that's never really seen unless it's filtered through like the male like wanting that. Or unless the woman is punished for it in some capacity. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doesn't a guy try try to rape her? Yes. I mean, is that kind of why it's also R-rating? That it's like, ooh, rape. It's an R-rating. It's not PG-13. I, I don't know. Even though I it would, doesn't actually happen. I would, bet the, I would bet that exact sequence plays out in a million PG-13 movies, though. Well, I can't think of anything in this movie that's R-rated. I'm su- actually surprised it's R-rated. I thought it was PG-13. Me There's too. a little blood with her wrist. I mean, that's probably the most violent thing. Honestly, I think it's bound up in kind of what I was talking about earlier, that kind of, like, satanic panic. It is, yeah. Yeah. Which, that, that's said, my, love that expression. Black magic and young people, and they were like, it's not black magic, actually. It's just, you know. It's actually pretty pe- vanilla magic. Yeah, but. <laughs> it's mostly white girl magic, logistically. The MPAA said there's no way that this movie is not rated R just based on the content alone. Wow. Man. Really? I yeah. think that would change today. Well, I mean, they wouldn't change We'd that much like today. We'd like to believe that, yeah. sure. I mean, now there are a lot of movies like The Craft that have been released that are PG-13. That's true. Well, and, and that's not, without even getting into, like, the TV realm, where there are, like, a ton of kind of teen witch. But, but like, Even Harry right? Potter. I yeah. think a lot of people, there's, a lot of people are just more open to the idea of spells and witchcraft and like maybe not practicing pagans but yeah that's true actually i I do think it's kind of like mainstream enough but i think like the thematically like the young girl if you see eighth grade it's just like ridiculous that that would be rated r but i i think it's for the same reason as it's, it's because it's about women and this movie with guys power. women I, having power yeah i don't think this movie with guys would in any way be rated r yeah. one of the things that i thought was we talked about sarah has scars from when she tried to kill herself or Mm -hmm. cut herself and they were talking about oh you did it the right way too which is like what is it down the block not across the street street. (laughs) yep i thought it was like down the highway not across the street i just Uh, we always heard down the block it's regional vernacular (laughs) like i mean this is this is something that we heard in real life when people would talk about this stuff like oh if you do it like up and down your arm that means you really want to die versus like down across your wrist means you just want attention because you won't die that way but I felt like just something about that in this movie I bet it romanticized cutting for a lot of young girls like there's just a lot of that kind of stuff in this movie mostly mostly with the cutting that it felt like girls probably watched this and like wanted to do that and and i'm talking about like impressionable young girls like it just it, i don't know i don't well, know if that's a criticism it just like felt really like kind of icky and i wonder if that really did like make girls want to do it i don't think i don't think it would be a thing that would make young girls want to do it i think i think it's actually a thing that's kind of laudable because so many young women and men at this age self-mutilate. Mm-hmm. And literally, like, as you were talking about that, it made me remember, actually, some of friends of mine did cut themselves. And I remembered that was, like, a thing that they related to in the movie. And I don't think it glamorizes that, especially not in the context of the ultimate story, because the ultimate story is about them taking control of their own lives and discovering their power within their own lives. 
of course, I think it would be done in a more sensitive way now, you know? I don't think they would, like, make jokes about, like, doing it the right way. Or I think if they did, it would be much more controversial than I'm sure it was at the time. There's that show, 13 Reasons Why, and, like, that's had so much controversy. But yeah, I I don't ultimately think it glamorizes, like, self-mutilation or suicide. Yeah, I actually really like that it's included here because I feel like it's a topic that is mostly stayed away from in teen movies, and we've watched all kinds of teen movies. It's definitely not she's all that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Although I wish it was. I wish it was. I wish she did it the right way. Should have been. <laughs> Should have been. <laughs> she was all that. You know, I, but you know, to talk about that scene too. Right after Nev Campbell, Bonnie like says, "Oh, that's the right way too," and like then Rochelle actually goes, "Like, how do you know that?" Yeah, And it actually, for me, gave her just, like, a little bit more interest. Like, oh, because she's covered in scars, she's considered suicide and, like, actually did her... I'm about to say due diligence, but that's kind of (laughs) fucked up. Like, you did your research, girl. Good for you. But at the same time, I'm like, I thought that actually gave her a little bit more depth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I appreciate this movie. I think that's a real thing that a lot of teens go through. Obviously, a lot of teens do either attempt or do commit suicide, and yet it's very underrepresented in almost all teen, like, pop culture. So I like that this movie kind of really took it seriously and actually, like, I I feel like that's realistic of the way that people would talk about it, too. I found that the high school felt real to me in a way that it definitely did not in, like, 10 Things I Hate About You. (laughs) Yeah. Or anything like that. like And just, like, the problems that they were dealing with that, like, felt, like, not, like, screenwritery problems, but just, like, real problems. Like, dealing with a guy who spreads that rumor about you, and that felt like something that a real girl would experience versus, like, the kind of heightened version of that that we've seen in other movies. So, yeah, I just appreciated that that was in here and kind of weighted seriously and treated, like, something that real teens deal with, as they do. Yeah, I mean... So, shifting gears slightly, I wanted to talk about when they kill a homeless guy together. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I want to talk about we way talk before about the, that. Yeah. The We're, first appearance the of first Hobo appearance with a Snake. Of Hobo with a Snake. Hobo with a Snake. Hobo Why was snake. this movie not called Hobo, Hobo with, with a Snake? So, this movie starts, <laughs> and I, I, Sarah moves to rainy LA, goes into this, like, empty, kind of, like, spooky-ish house with her parents, and there's a scene where she literally is just walking downstairs, probably looking for a, a painting. I don't know. She's just looking through stuff. The, there's a knock on the door, or it's a doorbell. She opens the door. Hobo with a snake. And then, and then, like her dad, like chases Hobo with a snake away. And they're like, "What? Are you okay? I don't know what that was." End of scene. Yeah. <laughs> like, Steps on snake. I'm just like, whoa, whoa! That started so quickly and like ended so quickly. That was abrupt. <laughs> yes. I think that was the most what the fuck moment of this entire movie. Yeah. And even though he comes back later when she's on Hollywood Boulevard, that doesn't make any sense. And he has another snake. Either like. I'm, can someone explain, like, did is he, like, magic? Like, what's going on there? I don't know. But <laughs> I was so hoping you would, like... You're like, actually, you I know. some because perfect I... anecdote. <laughs> the hobo with a snake is a representation of the male fertility symbol of the serpent. I think what they're going for is, like, she obviously has an inherent witchiness to her. Um, <laughs> skilled skills. 
<laughs> I think what they're going for is that this kind of weird guy can like see that and like that, yes. it's, that it's part of her per- exactly. personality There's already. Like, but he is not only there at her house. Like <laughs> it makes more sense that somebody weird would be on Hollywood Boulevard. That literal thing has happened to me before. Yeah, not, but no, not the representation the of Hollywood Boulevard <laughs> was spot on. We have to say that, especially for folks who've never been to Hollywood and have been to Hollywood Boulevard and seen that it is a wretched hive of witchcraft and sorcery. I would just, it makes more sense that if, like, there is a weirdo with a snake, hobo with a snake, on Hollywood Boulevard, (laughs) who, like, you know, feels something with this witch, but, like, also the fact that he, like, is at her house, (laughs) like, is so bizarre. Well, he just wants to talk to her, too. I actually wish... He got to say whatever. He yeah, was like, he I just want to talk to you. And I'm like, why it. do you want to talk to her with the hobo with the snake? Like, we what, never find out. What are you going to inform her of? That she is a witch or like, what? what's the deal? Yeah, it does feel like they like maybe cut like a third beat in that somehow. Like where, I don't know, she finds out who this d- dead guy was. And it was like, oh, he used to be a famous sorcerer that went crazy or I don't yeah. know. Whatever. But <laughs> yeah, it's oh, just so random. We just refer to him as hobo with a snake. <laughs> <laughs> He's been in that same corner for 10 years. Yeah. I mean, what I'm really guessing is that it was like maybe a studio number that like, oh, we need something scary and right. early in the movie because it's a drama. that's what they came up with. I guess so. What's scarier than Hobo with <laughs> Well, but th- that was one of my big notes for this is I wish it had been scarier. I wish it had yeah. taken more of a turn in that genre direction. Whereas, like, in this form, it really is kind of like a teen drama. Yeah, well, yeah. what did you guys think about the ending? I mean, you already kind of alluded to it, but, um, like, did you find the ending scary or... So the ending is, like... Bugs. Bugs. There's gross bugs. Like, you think that Sarah doesn't have her powers anymore because the other two girls, like, none of them are friends anymore. The other two girls are like, we don't have our powers anymore. Do you have your powers? And obviously she does. She does, like, some shit that scares them. And then we cut to the psych ward with Feruza Balk. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was kind of like a letdown. Um, isn't it the whole point of the spell that Sarah puts on her that she can't harm anyone or herself? And yet at the end, she's, like, tied up in a straitjacket? Like, that spell seems to not work either of the time that she casts it. <laughs> well, no, actually, the binding initially was harm against yourself and harm against others. But then as she finally does get to complete the bind, she just says, I bind you, Nancy, from harm, like from committing harm. Like she just, oh, she stops okay. saying against yourself because she's like, you tried to. Well, and also Kill she's in, in literal binds in the mental yeah. institution. But she has so maybe cuts on her face. Yeah, so... she didn't stop. She didn't bind her from harming herself. I think she's I... like, it's like a little. I think that whole thing was kind of confusing. And so it just the end kind of felt like a letdown, like it could have been done in a different way. And it just kind of turned into like a haunted house movie at mm-hmm. the very end. Like it was, that was really anticlimactic for me. And again, I feel like if they had grounded it more as like a horror drama, you know, they could have convincingly upped the stakes and paid that off in a big way that would make for a much more satisfying landing. Yeah, what yes. I actually find very scary about the climax is when they do a glamour and make it seem like her dad and stepmom have died in a plane crash. And so they have right. like an actual news report mm-hmm. that shows that this flight has crashed and there's like writing on the phone book that says like that they were on that flight. And so that I actually wish that there was a little bit more of that because that happens and then it goes into like bugs galore <laughs> um and i i like sort of the imagery of bugs galore yes. um they had actually like <laughs> yeah the maggots in the toilets yeah. i don't know 
They call me Bugs Galore. <laughs> they did. They had like ten thousand snakes on set, and they actually like everything that you see is like actually like snakes on her. Yeah. Like there's no like fake snakes. The only fake ones are when like her hands, like uh, Nancy's hands, turns into snakes. Wait, her uh, hands no, didn't really real. turn into snakes. <laughs> no. Um, I don't know. I felt like that. I always feel like that kind of like, oh my god, bugs, uh, <laughs> is so much more Tim Burton y and inherently kind of silly mm-hmm. um, that I, that never really read to me as scary. Okay. I think it, well, I think it would have been. But have everyone's mileage varies. Yeah, I like, know. my husband was literally just cringing. He's bugging out. He was like, oh, <laughs> he was just like, oh god, cockroaches, no, no. And yeah. I was like, wow, that's such a visceral response. Whereas to what I'm I think like, is stupid. let's put on Joe's apartment. I'm ready for friendly <laughs> roaches being helpful. <laughs> I feel like it would have worked if the bugs was paired more with something emotional as well, and that that was just sort of like the accoutrement of... Yeah, yeah. Like, exactly. But I, I do feel like the fight between them gets a little bit basic in the end, and just, like, it loses kind of the story, you know? Yeah, basic. <laughs> uh, that scene actually won Best Fight at the MTV Aww. Movie Awards. <laughs> they got a moon man for that? They wow. did. Beating wow. such films as Barbed Wire and Mars Attacks. Oh my god. That was a great... Pam was robbed. Pam was was robbed. In my opinion. So I don't know if you would agree with me. Something that I wish was in this movie was like... Bugs? There were plenty of bugs. There were more bugs. There were bugs galore. I kind of wish, at least up until some point, like there's a part where Fruza Balk's character, um, she's like, my powers haven't kicked in yet. And she's like kind of like upset about it. And then we realize they've kicked in when her, obviously she wants to get back at her stepdad. And her stepdad, like, dies. And I was like, I kind of wish that she was, like, really doubting her own power and she, like, killed him in some way. Like, maybe, like, she poisons him or does something that she takes his medication or, like, make it get, makes her even, like, more villainous. Mm-hmm. Like, she she actually... Because I think he just has a heart attack or something, right? Well, like, it's see, really I like that ambiguity, but I wish that she had felt bad about that. I thought it would have made her a more complex character if she had internal disagreement about the validity of her powers, like in being genuinely conflicted about doing something like that and and taking on that literal responsibility over life and death. Because, you know, like that's especially in her character thread, like that's what she's dealing with is like trying to discover like herself. Yeah, I agree. I feel like Faruza Balk is bringing a little of that in her performance, but it's not really in the script, so there's not that much she can do about it. And similarly, in the scene where she turns herself into Nancy, or creates a glamour where she becomes or she becomes Sarah, yeah. yes, and seduces Chris, who's the guy that Sarah liked, and then she casts a love spell on him, and then he was like so obsessed with her that he tried to rape her. And it's a really interesting scene especially in, I feel like, just the outline of it, where it's like, she has previously said that Chris also slept with her or or spread rumors about her. I don't think we know exactly what happened. And she's the exact kind of girl that we think would not be into this guy. That And she says she wants to get revenge on him. And yet, she seems like she's kind of enjoying, like, making out with him and, like, probably would have gone through with, like, full-on having sex with him if, like, they weren't in- interrupted. I feel like there's a lot of, like, really interesting dynamics there that aren't really explored but it hints at sort of this more complex nancy than i think is the one that we kind of get in the end and ends up just in a crazy bin yeah and i and i think all the ways in which that more complex nancy would have been rendered would have made the movie scarier 
yeah. and not just kind of more rich emotionally. Ski Ulrich looks like baby Ben Affleck in this movie. Oh my god. I, I, I'm glad I'm not the only one who would bring this up, but Skeet Ulrich was a fucking babe. He was a babe and a half. And his character is noxious and toxic and poisonous, but he, I think he's real pretty. Yeah. <laughs> I just think he's um, a real looker. Not for me. No? No. no. You don't want to skeet with skeet? The only person I ever had a crush on like from any of those teen movies was Breckin Meyer, actually. I always oh, like him such a babe. I love he's his so nose. Adorable. And his... <laughs> I just like his nose. Who am I kidding? Yeah. I have like... always found him adorable. Yeah. He's like he's a welcome presence across the entire 90s. Exactly, like in Clueless, he was so cute. Yeah, he's basically the same character here. (laughs) A little bit meaner. A little bit meaner. Yeah. Dick in this, actually. But But this is a nice who's who of, like, people who popped up in other movies. (laughs) Oh my god, so 90s, such a 90s cast. It's nice for me to see Nev and Skeet together again. (laughs) I actually have to say, too, I really like that about-to-have-sex scene, I guess, with Nancy and Chris. I remember watching it and being like, oh, but she hates him, oh, but she's doing this, oh god, this is such a teenage girl thing. Like, (laughs) it's such... I could relate to it a little too well. Right, yeah. And how much you want, but re- can, you can want, but resent someone, like, and want to, like, hate fuck them. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, like, and I was like, that is such a teenage girl and probably teenage boy experience. And, like, watching it for me was just actually as an adult being like, oh my God, I totally did that. <laughs> and this is really crazy to see on film and being portrayed exactly how it would have gone down if witchcraft was real and I could glamour somebody <laughs> and do that shit. Yeah. 100% would have done it. <laughs> and even her <laughs> freaking out afterwards, because I've literally been in that situation mm-hmm. where it was like, I just hooked up with you or just made out with you, and now I'm like going to Hannibal Lecter you and be like an emotional terrorist. Hopefully it ended a little <laughs> differently. It ended with him throwing up and crying in my okay. suit. But not being thrown, <laughs> not out being out thrown from a window. Was but, that the scene with the, with the feet dragging? Yeah, that's which, by the way, those boots, oh my God. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> so like much of shot. Nancy's outfit, I would like everything she wore in that movie it was like fuck I hate to admit it but I just need that I have that wardrobe essentially but <laughs> those boots were just everything the way they her stylist <laughs> yeah <laughs> but the minute those boots dragged across the floor that shot I was like I think that's my favorite shot in this movie it's just those, like it, yeah. those dangling pointed toe it, witch boots it feels awesome. like a horror movie and I, I do agree I wish this was more more yeah, the way she movie. Yeah. saying he's sorry I was like this is over the top but also so teenage witch behavior like i was like i actually think this is all believable so yeah and that one i kind of i was like okay i'll give you this yeah i'll give you this the craft (laughs) the craft appreciates it (laughs) i want to talk about christine taylor's hair oh i want to talk about christine taylor's character (laughs) hair first (laughs) gone tomorrow (laughs) Uh, so the rochelle character's revenge she doesn't really necessarily plan it but she wants revenge on laura lizzie played by christine taylor she earlier makes fun of rochelle's hair calling it a nappy hair and like she mistakes it for a pube although she's just being mean then later her luscious blonde locks fall out which is i think a pretty effective revenge revenge on this high school bitch but like what is with christine taylor and hair (laughs) (laughs) i feel like her power as an actor is contained entirely within her scalp. But it's just this and the Brady Bunch. And she's bald on Friends and Zoolander. (laughs) Wait, but she's there's not not a hair thing in Zoolander. I don't think there is, but now I'm going to rewatch Zoolander. Yeah. And find we'll the find a hair thing. Yeah. Her dad on Arrested Development has uh, alopecia. That's right? true. <laughs> Stand so well. Is that hereditary? Because I think we can count that. <laughs> OK, 
Okay, so her character is incredibly racist to, I don't think I should say it, I think we should just drop in the audio from the movie of what she says. <laughs> yeah. Why are you doing this to me, Laura? Do you think you're funny? You really want to know why? Yes, I really want to know why. Because I don't like Negroids. Sorry. But, like, she, she, it starts with her saying, like, oh, I found a pube. Oh, it must be your hair. Like, that is enough to be, like, oh, you're racist. Yes. Like, obviously, you're talking about nappy hair. Like, you, you, like, you're racist against black people. But, like, then she, like, is just so obvious and on the nose about it where I was, like, whoa. <laughs> like, that maybe didn't need to be in here. Like, it's just, as far as, like, a character goes, it's, like, I don't think anybody would say that. They would just do the first thing where they're racist, like, subtly so nobody could be, like, you're racist. Well, I mean, or she that, race, just that the, first one was yeah. not actual word either. No, it wasn't. It's more subtle than saying, like, I don't like you because you're black. (laughs) Basically. They they punched that one right in the nose. Yeah, it was just like, okay. (laughs) But I'm not sure that in the 90s, like, a snobby blonde girl in a Catholic school wouldn't say that. Like, I was wondering. But I I was like, that seems like That also wouldn't surprise me. But, like, like, people have had to have said things like that before, so I kind of felt like maybe that just is what someone would have said back then. Also, it's so so hateful, like, so hateful, that when she loses her hair, I don't feel very conflicted about it, and I feel like the movie maybe wants me to feel conflicted about it, because Rochelle, Mm -hmm. she feels conflicted about, like, wow, maybe this went too far, because Christine Taylor is, like, taking out, like, handfuls of hair and crying, and I feel like you're supposed to be like, wow, this went too far. But I'm like, but she just basically said the N-word, so I don't know. Like, maybe if she was a little bit more subtle about her racism, then I would feel more conflicted myself watching this, so I don't know. Maybe that's why. Yeah, I I didn't feel bad for her at all, and I felt like you were (laughs) supposed to. And I'm like, I don't at all. I think more my, things should have happened to her. My love for Christine <laughs> Taylor kicked in a little bit, and I was like, "Aw, Marsha." The only but thing I will say, Marcia. her character has kind of an art too, which is weird because she apologizes to her. Like that was a scene in the movie that I wasn't expecting when she goes up to Rochelle and she's like, mm-hmm. "Wait, did she actually say I'm sorry?" She, I don't know if she says I'm sorry, but she like speaks to she her. She says, "What did I do to deserve this?" Yeah, but that's not apologizing. Well, I <laughs> She's that still going up to her and speaking with right. her. Right, she's, like, connecting with her as a human. Yeah. Now right. that she is also... Going through like, something. And I was like, this is weird. Yeah. This is giving her more depth. I didn't think he gave her enough depth, because I was like, yeah. she's just complaining to the person yeah. that she was a bitch to. Yeah. <laughs> I just it was, it was literally, a, it was like, I what did, did you do to deserve this? Like, she could have just pointed at herself. You're a racist. And been like, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> the whole you, me thing. And I don't, I, I'm not an apology. That's not what I was looking for. But I'm just like, she seemed, like, to deeply... Be, feel conflicted and wanted to and went to talk to her about it and I was like that's a strange decision and yeah I kind of like that because I mean for me it's not about feeling bad for the wonderful Christine Taylor <laughs> <laughs> but about like the fact that she's inflicting pain on someone and what that says about her and I feel like it's more about like her realizing like oh I don't really feel very good about doing this and like it was fun and now it's not fun to actually see someone suffer with the consequences of what you did I also kind of wish there was more about about them learning the craft. Mm-hmm. Like they go to that bookstore 
twice. I, I, like nobody talks about that. The woman who runs that shop, by the way, who I was oh my like, God. yeah, I love you, and I wish you were my mom. Like I watched it, and I was like, oh my god, I wish I had some kind of bookstore like this. I wanted my... more of her. I want. Yeah. I want it. Like when she runs out of there, and that, that woman's like, Sarah. I'm like, go back. Yeah. I want to know. Like right. she was protecting you. Like yeah. that was a really like and that. But they like when she steals the you know, strand of hair from Christine character, uh, Christine's head or whatever her name is in the movie. Lizzie, Laura, Lizzie, Laura, Lizzie, Lizzie McGuire, yeah, whatever. And she like <laughs> goes Brady. home and then like sprays the strand into Rochelle's hair. And I'm like, they're, they picked up a lot of crazy witchcraft skills. Like I almost wish there was like, yeah, maybe not a montage, but some like them, like their education, that bookstore like, yeah. and that the woman who runs it are just kind of instrumental to the plot rather than developed as like a character in an actual location. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 again, I feel like it it could have been a much more thoughtful movie if if it explored that more and fleshed her out as a character. Yeah, it feels like anytime adults are in the movie, it's kind of like it feels like more like an 80s teen movie where it's like here's some parents, goodbye or something like that. Instead of, I feel like the teen stuff is actually pretty textured. Mm-hmm. And if it had had like less of like the bookshop stuff, which feels very like studio movie kind of silly in a way, like it would have been more interesting to like just develop, like instead of that bookshop, like have them a scene where they're just like learning this stuff and like well, yeah, studying. Like you could have literally just mm-hmm. had a shot over one of their shoulders in class when they're supposed to be studying math, but instead they have like a book on witchcraft open. Like that would have <laughs> been like. There's Enough a picture of a, of a pentagram. Wink. Yeah, like a bit arrow. of a wink. Like, okay, like they're not, they're studying this, not studying what they're supposed to be doing in Catholic school. Or like, I always thought yeah. it was a missed opportunity to not bring up that they're in Catholic school. Right. And they're practicing mm. witchcraft. So I'm like, how do you not show that conflict? Well, and again, like that could have made room for adult characters who were more like morally judgmental and... Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I was like, this had so much, so many things that could have been really cool. Yeah, for sure. And unexplored. I feel like this movie is not super well-directed. Like, I can imagine more of a visual stylist doing a little bit more with it. There seems to be, like, kind of a mix of styles. And yet, saying that, I feel like there are a lot of moments in this movie that feel kind of iconic. And I don't know if that's just because I watched the trailer so much. But, like, the boots, the slow-mo walk of the girls, like, down mm-hmm. the hallway. Like, the Reservoir Dogs, kind of. Like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Certain lines, I think, are very memorable. Mostly spell kind of lines. Like, I bind you from doing harm. And Where are the weirdos, mister? Yeah. Exactly. That's like... Light <laughs> as a feather, stiff as a board. Yeah. Uh-huh. And even, um, like, her changing her hair color. I remember that yeah. very distinctly from the trailer. And just the way Skeet Ulrich says you're a witch like i don't know it it like feels more iconic to me than i think the movie necessarily is but these individual moments felt very very familiar to me mm-hmm. possibly just because i watched this movie a lot so but. we get it every second is iconic and legendary and perfect in your eyes <laughs> becky That's not exactly where i was going with this no it's a it's a it's a fine movie it's not perfect it's not bad yeah there are, yeah. There are good things about it so yeah. i'm i'm glad that that I rewatched it. I don't know. I'm not going to go buy it, but like, I'm kind of pleasantly surprised by this whole experience. Yeah, same. <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't hate it as much as <laughs> I did as a teen. That's pretty much walking away from it. Mm-hmm. It held up <laughs> for me. Like, I enjoyed it. I think it does a lot of good things. I, th- I just think the message that it sends out about women is positive and really different from most of what 
came out in the 90s. This was kind of the same era as uh, what we were just talking about a few episodes ago, Girl Power, mm-hmm. which is a very different, uh, <laughs> aesthetically, a very different approach to this. And I think this is much more layered and complicated than that. It still has, you know, a little bit of room to grow, but just the way that these women kind of both bond together and then also find their inner strength against like what mostly men are bringing to them. Uh, I find this kind of like a really good positive message, actually, which obviously we did not get from every teen movie that we've watched. Oh, so no. good Especially on not you. from this era. Right. Yeah. I want these four girls to put a spell on <laughs> She's All That, the movie, <laughs> <laughs> and have her hair fall out of her ponytail. <laughs> so, in closing, are you a Nancy, a Bonnie, a Rochelle, or a Sarah? Oh, for fuck's fuck. sake. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse to answer that. I'm a Frank. <laughs> <laughs> I too am a Frank. <laughs> no, sorry, I'll always just be Chrissy. Like that's just I. I was. I was, and still am a witch, and that is not going to be defined by this film. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you feel bad for asking. How dare you, sir? How very dare you? And I'm a Laura Lizzie. <laughs> not really. No, no. Please don't believe that. <laughs> And that's all the binding we have time for on the When We Were Young podcast. On our very next episode... We're going to look who's talking besides us and overhear the interior monologues of Babies and Dogs, voiced by Roseanne Barr, Danny DeVito, Diane Keaton, and Bruce Willis. Uh, that's I have that experience every night when I go to sleep. That's <laughs> nothing new for me. This will be our third uh, Bruce Willis movie in the last few months. And our unofficial trilogy. <laughs> it is a Bruce Willogy. Oh, God. <laughs> a Bruce Willenium. Well, thank you, Chrissy, for stopping by again. My pleasure. Yes, sometime we'll have you by when we're not talking about witches or... Never! <laughs> Never stop that. No, that's, I want that to be the only reason why I come to L.A. <laughs> Are there other witch movies? I don't know what to do now. The worst witch? I don't know. Oh, witches God. of Eastwich? The witches of Eastwich. Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus, yeah. I Here can come back for all of those. All right, you're coming back often, I guess. <laughs> Happily talk about we'll it. We'll do a whole the witch witches. year. The Angelica oh, the Houston. witches. Oh. And until your next summoning, the When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. Please track us down on all the social medias, and please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review of five stars or more. I have been Seth. I am Chrissy. I'm Becky. And I bind you, Nancy, from doing harm. <laughs> harm against other people and harm against yourself. Bravo! Stop it, please! What's the deal? Why doesn't she use magic on us? Because she's weak! Weak, weak, weak. (laughs) Oh, God, you're so disgusting. Now is the end. Let her go in peace. Now is the end. Let her go in peace. Now is the end. Let her go in peace. Now is the end. Let her go in peace.